Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. How many of you have been tracking with the James Webb Space Telescope? A little bit? Okay, I'm seeing maybe about 20 hands. If you haven't looked this up, this is like really cool stuff. If you're a little bit of a nerd like me, you might enjoy it. Um, Oh, that jumped really fast there. What happened there? Um... It's not advancing. Could could you advance it? Uh oh. Oh man, I had really cool images up there. Well, I'll start talking about it, and and I'm sure it'll it'll come up there. The James Webb Space Telescope was launched a few months ago, and it was basically going to be the new Hubble Space Telescope. You guys remember Hubble? Hubble's been around for what, like 25, 30 years or so, and we have seen some amazing images from Hubble. And now the James Webb Space Telescope, JWST, has come along. That's the shorthand that they use for it. And, oh, there we go, yes. Here it is right there. Um, The difference is instead of just having like a traditional telescope, they had all these different mirrors with this really cool science to draw an image. And it's about, the previous one was 2.4 meters high. This one stands 6.5 meters high. I think it would be like from here to the ceiling, if I have my math. I mean, giant, just a giant uh, telescope. And it brought in larger images and more clarity of images because it was larger and also because it can pick up infrared uh, light. It can pick up a different kind of light. And so they're able to do really cool science-y stuff, which I don't understand. I won't try to explain. Uh, But just to give you an idea of how much better it is, there, there have been comparisons of images. So on the right, you see that's where Hubble was. JWST, because it had a bigger mirror to collect more light, goes even farther. You can see all these galaxies and stars uh, in the background. And then I have another one here. This time they're flipped. Hubble on the left. You can kind of see all those gases from a nebula. And then with JWST, you see even further. Like, it's just, you can see through that to all those galaxies. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Look, look up some of the images. I, I was really wanted to geek out, but I was like, this is about Jesus, not about space telescopes. <laughs> so I decided to just do two. But a larger mirror equals more reflection. It, re, it means more reflection of the character and glory of the universe. Friends, you and I are giant mirrors, giant images meant to reflect the glory and character of the creator and redeemer of the universe. And the more our mirror, our image is kind of put together, the more we reflect that character and that glory. And you might remember last week, if you were here, we talked about how God's restoring us as bearers of God's image, how we can reflect more of God's character and glory to the world, how we're being restored to our royal dignity and purpose and place in God's family and kingdom. Do you guys kind of remember how we talked about that? That was week three of our series, The Servant King. This is week four where we're wrapping everything up. Each week, we're talking about Jesus, the servant king, and we're filling in this blank. Jesus, the king, serves us by, and then we're talking about one particular way that he serves us. And we're seeing that Jesus is a different kind of hero, a different kind of king, because he establishes and realizes his kingship through service. 
That's why he's the servant king. And this week, we're talking about how Jesus the king serves us by sending us as God's servant people. Jesus the king serves, serves us by sending us as God's servant people. And you might be wondering, wait a minute, so we're served by serving? Like, what's the connection there? What's the link? Well, the way that God thinks is that when you become a servant of God, it's actually a great privilege. In the Old Testament, to be a servant of God was a very unique sort of thing. Uh, People who were servants of God in the Old Testament are people like Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus, and you. All of those people... And then after Jesus, God says, you know what? I'm going to expand this. Now there's going to be a whole bunch of servants. I'm going to have a whole servant people that go out and get to take part in what I'm up to in the world. And that's why it's a great privilege is we get to take part in what God is doing in the world. And when we connect with that greater purpose, we find more meaning and significance in our life. And I'm just thinking of Tanner right now. Tanner's a great example of this. Tanner, just because he's leaving professional ministry, doesn't mean he's not going to have this greater servant purpose in his life. It's just going to look different for him. He's still that gifted, creative, uh, strong, funny man that God has created. He's just going to be in a different part of the world around here, serving in a different sort of way, still reflecting God's character and glory, still growing. And it's the same for you and me. It doesn't matter what your profession is, what your age, your stage of life, if you're a junior or higher here or a little kid or a senior, God wants to use you as part of his servant people. So this morning, we're going to explore what it means for us to be sent as God's servant people. And at the end of the sermon, as part of my sermon, I'm actually going to have, we're actually going to have Debbie Elliott come up here, and she's going to share as well as Adrian Michaud, uh, her adopted son, and we're going to get an update as part of, uh, part of the sermon. So that's very exciting. But first, before we get into being sent, we're going to talk about what God has done for us, this good news of what God has done for us through Jesus, the servant king. And to do this, we need to remind ourselves of how we're making our way through the passage. And if you've been here every four weeks, you're probably like, I know this by now, but there's some of you who weren't here. So uh, we're exploring this passage as having five stanzas, this poem. Each one has three verses, okay? Um, And so you have to put on your your literary literature professor caps right now uh, to maybe remember some things. Um, It's in a parallel form. It's an inverted parallelism where the second part is in reverse order. Um, so it's inverted, and the center is very often the focal point. So we started off looking at the center, and then we made our way out week two. Last week, we looked at the very outer part, and this week, we're looking at the whole thing, okay? So this week, we're looking at the whole thing. So let's, let's see this servant. It's, this passage is known as one of the servant songs. It's one of four of them. Let's see how this one unfolds. We're going to do a quick review of what we've talked about. We won't make our way all the way through the passage again. Uh, but I want to kind of summarize what we've seen in this good news. So first we talked about how Jesus the King serves us by taking our place. We started off with seeing how Jesus is the substitutionary servant. We deserved to take God's judgment for our sins, but instead he took our place. He took upon, our, upon himself the sin and the suffering that we deserved as sinners. And then for week two, we talked about how Jesus the King serves us by suffering injustice for us. We talked about how he was a man of sorrows or a man of suffering. So he's a sorrowful servant. How he suffered for us, even though he had done no wrong, done no sin. He came humbly, but he was despised and rejected. And then we also talked about how he was a silent, slaughtered servant, how he was like a sacrificial 
offering before God that suffered injustice for our sake that we might be reconciled to God. No longer did the Jewish people need to offer sacrifices at the temple to, to restore the relationship with God. Now Jesus was that final sacrifice. And then last week we talked about Jesus being exalted in victory, how after his suffering there came glory. And that's the same pattern for our lives as well. He was exalted and he was exalted in victory, that he was victorious over sin, death, and the devil, and we get the spoils of his victory. We get to take part in his being made right, um, his, his justification, his resurrection, his death is for our benefit as well. You guys kind of remember that? Kind of caught up a little bit for where we're going? That by no means did justice to the complete last three weeks, but I wanted you to kind of see where we're going. So now let's turn our attention to our response to this good news of Jesus' redemptive death and life-giving resurrection. This good news of how we've been made right with God so we can be in relationship with God and can serve him. And in short, it all comes down to this. Jesus sends us to be a light to the nations. Jesus sends us to be a light to the nations. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, I've been here the last past three weeks. I just heard Tanya read the scripture. I don't remember any talk about light. Where, where is this coming from? Well, earlier in one of the earlier servant songs, there's this mysterious figure we've been talking about, the servant in Isaiah. We don't know who he is until Jesus comes. But in an earlier passage, we hear this. This is God speaking to the servant in Isaiah 49, verse 6. This is part of that passage. The Lord says, I will give you, the servant, as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So it's as if God is saying, okay, Rick right here, you're, you're my servant. I'm going to put you in the world and you're going to be a light to the rest of the world. You're going to be light to the nations. So the question is, how do we know that this applies to us? How do we know that this applies to us? Well, back in Isaiah 53, verse 10, there's this really intriguing line that doesn't make sense until Jesus comes along. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, we hear that it, God says, when you make, or the prophet says, when you make his life, the servant's life, an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. So when he's offered up as an offering for sin, for our sin, to take God's judgment upon himself, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. So after Jesus has come, it's clearly talking about Jesus' death and his resurrection, right? He shall prolong his days. He will be able to come back to life, this new everlasting life, and be able to see his days. But wait a minute. Do you remember Jesus having offspring? Do, in, in, anywhere in the Gospels, do we hear about, well, Jesus had a kid? Do we remember? No. I, I, we don't come across that. He was never married. He didn't have kids. So what, what is this passage talking about? Well, it's not talking about physical offspring. It's talking about spiritual offspring in the sense of we are like Jesus, because in the ancient world, offspring, the idea was that the offspring were always like the one who bore them, like the character of their father. So in verse 11, we also hear that the righteous one made many righteous. The righteous one, God's servant, made many righteous. So, so Jesus made other people right before God. Okay, we talked about that last week. And later on, as the book goes on in the book of Isaiah, all we hear about is no longer the servant, singular of the Lord. We now hear about the servants. It's all plural. 
And in the next chapter, after chapter 53, the prophet says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. He's saying the servant passes on his heritage of his calling to the rest of God's people who are reconciled with him. Are you seeing the connections here? This, is, this means that this, through the work of the servant, God made more servants. God says, I'm going to work through the servant to save my people. And then all those who are saved become servants as well. And they take on themselves that calling. And how do we, like, how do we know that this is true? How do we know that this is applies to us? Well, in Acts 13, Paul says that he himself is a light to the nations. And you might think, well, that's the apostle Paul. I mean, that's, that's like someone really special. But in Acts 1.8, this is what Jesus says to all of his disciples before he is ascended to heaven. He says this in Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they're waiting for God's Spirit to be poured out. And he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will go be witnesses. Did you catch where? In Jerusalem, where they're at. In Judea and Samaria, out to the near parts of where they're at. And then to the ends of the earth. What did we hear back in Isaiah 49.6? You will be a light to the nations that my salvation may reach where? The end of the earth. This is Jesus' way of saying, you are those servants. That prophecy that was talking about God's people all become servants is now happening And so if you put your faith in Christ from that time onward, you are a servant of the Lord as well. Yes, Jesus is the servant of the Lord in a very special way. He's the servant of the Lord, capital S, underlined, bolded, italicized. But we too are servants of the Lord. We too together are a light to the nations. And it is the nations because we have people serving in Zambia. and other parts of the world as part of God's church all around the world. And so you are called to be a light to the nations right where you're at. And really, because of the nature of our, our American country, there's actually lots of nations represented in, in, in our country. If you go to different areas, there's people from different parts of the world. And so even at your workplace, you can be a light to the nations, to people from other nations. Isn't this cool? Like, this is, this is talking about you when it's talking about Jesus. You get to do the same kind of stuff in a lot of ways that he did. So as we are witnesses to Jesus as the Savior of the world, God's salvation reaches the ends of the earth. God's salvation reaches the ends of the, of the earth. So Jesus the King serves us by sending us as God's servant people. Through the work of the servant, he makes more servants. And this has been God's desire, his plan from the very beginning. Back at Abraham 12, excuse me, Genesis 12, when he called Abraham, he said, I will bless you, I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless all peoples through you. After God took the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, do you know what he says? He says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a special possession. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so God says, you're going to be, that's another way of talking about being a light to the nations. And then Jesus, or Isaiah comes along and says to the servant, you will be a light to the nations. Then Jesus comes along and says, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And earlier, you might remember during the prayer of confession time, I read that Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So Jesus himself says, yes, I'm the light of the world, but you're the light of the world as well. 
So I want to spend the rest of our time with talking about three exhortations, three encouragements that might help us to take up this calling to be God's servant people. I'm going to be talking about three things that we can get, three things that we can get in our relationship with God. The first is get silence. Get silence. We don't like silence, do we? It's not very normal and natural for us to have silence and solitude. But this is what we hear God say to the servant earlier in Isaiah, or what he says about himself, or excuse me, what Isaiah says about the servant. Morning by morning he wakens. He wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. Morning by morning the servant wakes up and he listens for God. I'm listening as those who are taught. And so the servant of the Lord took time to listen. And we see this in Jesus' life and ministry. In the middle of the hustle and the bustle, he would be like, time out for ministry, even though there's thousands of people here, I'm out of here. And he would go up into a mountain and go pray and come back the next day. Because as the servant of the Lord, he needed silence to hear from the Lord. And it's the same for us as servants of the Lord. We need to hear from, from our God. And to do this practically, it takes time, energy, and space. It takes time, energy, and space. You have to take the time to do it. You have to intentionally plan. If you don't plan for it, it's likely not going to happen. It takes time. Schedule it into your, into your day planner, onto your iPhone, on your Apple Watch. Schedule time. Like, this is my time of silence. It also takes energy. Like, it's going to take energy to not do other things so you can devote your energy to resting, to be attentive to the Lord. But if you spend all your energy where you don't have any time to really listen, it's kind of like when couples are both busy during a very busy week. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then you come back and you find you don't really have much time to talk. And then by the end of the week, you feel not, maybe not as connected to your spouse. Do you know what I'm talking about? During a, a busy season. Uh, I know sometimes it can feel like that for, for Sarah and me. If it's a super busy time, we have to stop and intentionally make sure that we're taking time to talk and to connect. And so it takes energy to, to set that time aside. It also takes space. Like, you have to have an intentional space for it to happen. I know some people who, they have a special part of the house where they always sit to be silent before the Lord. They might even light a candle to help them focus, turn off all the lights and just light a candle. And so how can you be intentional to be silent before the Lord? And to be silent before the Lord means I'm going to just shut down everything I'm thinking and all the stuff that's on my mind and my heart, and I'm just going to know that the Lord is with me, that he loves me. And if you feel like there's all this stuff that you can't let go of, one of the things that I often do is I'll imagine all those things in my hand. I'll just get them all off my mind, into my hand, and I'll turn them over to God and say, God, I entrust you with these things. And so it's, it's like a practice thing where over time, it's easier to be silent before the, lot, before the Lord. And I want to encourage you to, to just start with two minutes, two minutes at the beginning of your prayer time, at the end of your prayer time, or one or the other, or maybe the beginning of your day or the end of the day, and then maybe try to expand that. One of the things that I've realized looking back over the last several years is I've been going to school part-time and being full-time working here and being married with three young kids is that I've crammed too much into my schedule. Looking back, I would have done things differently. <laughs> 
because I've made it very difficult for me to find that silence before the Lord. And so I'm working on how can I rearrange my schedule, be more intentional to make that happen. And that might be the case for some of you, is where you feel like, I don't know how to make that happen in my life. Just take some baby steps. This is not about saying, carve out 30 minutes on Monday morning and figure it out. No, take some baby steps um, to begin to make some silence before the Lord. Dallas Willard, a spiritual theologian who's now with the Lord, um, said this. He said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. If we're hurrying from one thing to the next, if our, if our schedules are so cramped, it's hard to hear from the Lord. And the more we take times of silence to hear from him, we'll be able to much more like, be much more likely to hear him in the midst of the hustle and bustle of everyday life. So we have to create some margin in our schedules and our lives to hear from the Lord. So first thing is get silence. The second thing is get wisdom. Get wisdom. Like the servant king, we speak as those who are taught. As those who are taught. The, the, the servant speaks as one who has been taught. He hears and then he speaks. He hears from God and then he speaks. And so very often we don't know how to serve people. We don't know how to share our faith. And one of the reasons why is we haven't taken enough time to really hear from the Lord, his wisdom. And if we get the silence, we get the time to hear from him, we can, we can much more easily serve him right where we're at. So it's out of the overflow of our relationship with God that we serve people and that we speak words of life to people and share the gospel. It's difficult to know when and how to speak up to share our faith, but if we ask the Lord for wisdom and we ask in faith, if we trust that he's going to show up, he will give us wisdom as we take the time to do that. So I want to encourage you to be prepared to share your faith. Be prepared to share faith. Take some time out to think, what would it look like if someone asked me, why do you believe in Jesus? Or why are you a Christian? Why are you a follower of Jesus? What does that mean to you? What, I mean, I don't understand. Why do you take all the time to go to youth group, to go to church? I don't understand. I would want to encourage you to think about your faith story, how God's saving grace has really impacted you. And one good way to think of that is you can think in terms of your life before Christ, and I have this up here. What was like life before Christ? How did I come to know Christ and what does it mean to me? And what about after following Christ? How has my life changed? So before Christ, how I came to know Christ and life after Christ. That's a, that's a real easy way to kind of put together our stories to share with other people as God leads us. So get silence get wisdom, and then finally, get courage. Get courage. I don't know about you, but very often it's hard to, to share our faith because sometimes fears uh, will, will hold us back. Anyone else can relate to that? We want to have some fears about that. I want you to consider what some of your fears might be about sharing your faith. Just, just take, like, take a, a, a few seconds to think about what are some of your fears about sharing your faith? Maybe it's you feel like, I'm not going to know all the answers. Or maybe you're afraid that you're going to look like you don't know what you're talking about. Or maybe you're afraid that it's going to change the other person's perception of you. Or maybe you're afraid that you're going to offend the other person. For me, one of my, my fears is, or a couple of my fears are uh, offending people, is that sense of like, 
I want to be able to, to have regular relationships with people, but sometimes being a, a pastor or people know you're a minister, they like, they're like, oh, I can't, I can't be funny around this guy, or I can't joke around with this guy. It's really fun at parties when, when very often people regularly cuss, and then they hear I'm a, I'm a minister, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry about cussing. I'm like, you don't need to apologize to me. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not the, the word police here. Um, <laughs> But it's funny how, how sometimes those things change. And it's just part of what goes along with being in the ministry is, is it changes people's perceptions of you. So I'm afraid that I'm going to be known as the guy who's just always sharing his faith and can't have regular conversations with. And it's not, it's not a rational fear, and it's something I, I continue to work through. But we have fears, too, about sharing our faith. It's normal. That's a normal thing uh, to have. It takes courage to overcome our fears. It's not about waiting for the fears to go away and then sharing your faith, because you might end up waiting for decades. Courage is about not letting your fears stopping you from serving God. It's saying, I'm going to take a step forward in faith, even though I'm afraid, still with my fears there. As I'm listening to God, as I'm getting silent, as I'm getting wisdom from Him, I'm going to take courageous steps forward in faith. Debbie, I'm, I'm thinking about you again. I'm not quite there. Just, just one more minute, Debbie, for coming up. Uh, I'm thinking about Debbie, about how, how she took that step of faith to, and maybe you might want to say like 30 seconds about this. I think about how Debbie took the time to listen to the Lord, how she got wisdom, and how she took a courageous step of faith, selling all of her stuff and just like leaving it all behind and going, I'm just going for it. And that's what the Lord calls us to do. He calls us to take steps of risky faith and loving obedience. Risky faith means I'm going to take a step risking that I might not know what it's all going to look like. I know God's calling me to take a step in this direction, but I don't know what the step is a week down the road. I just know that he has light for right here for the next couple days. And I'm going to take those risky steps, even though I don't know what's further down the road. I know what's coming up soon. I know what he's calling me to do now, but I don't know what's happening later. I also think of Tanner. He's taking some of those steps of faith as well. He doesn't know what this next season looks exactly like for him, but he knows the Lord is calling him, and he's taking those steps of faith. These are also steps of loving obedience. It's because we know that the Lord has loved us and we love him back that we want to obey. It's a sense of gratitude, of devotion, of worship that we respond to the Lord's invitation. It's not because we feel like we're suddenly like compelled, like God's twisting my arm to go do it. No, it's because he loves us, he saved us, and he has a greater purpose for us as his servants. And so what are those risky steps of faith and loving obedience God might have for you in this season? Has God been just kind of nudging you or maybe yelling at you? I want you to do this. Please listen. And you're like, no, 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 no. I, I, I can't do that. Or maybe you want the Lord's direction. And maybe it's time to really take some time to get silent before the Lord and draw on his wisdom to know what to say, what to do, right where you're at as part of his servant people. Because the Lord is shining his glory and he wants to reflect off of us. And the images are way better than JWST. They're way more glorious than that when God works. And it's beautiful. So I want to encourage you to take those steps of faith. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpc.org.